0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor here at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 Newsletter. Today, we continue our series on state house leaderships with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Governor, welcome back to Washington Post Live.
0: Thank you so much. Great to be here.
1: So first to our audience, of course, we love to hear from you. So if you have any questions for the governor, feel free to tweet us at post live. So, Governor, I want to start with some news of the day. Of course, you are governor in New Hampshire. I'm here in Washington, where Congress is facing a vote on what to do about a looming rail strike. Uh, Mm There is not yet an agreement on the Senate on how to move forward. What would you do? Would you do you think that Congress should intervene to impose a previous agreement on workers so that the strike does not happen on December 9th?
0: well a couple things first i mean when you're dealing with unions you, you got to get a resolution especially when you're talking about rail uh you know the policies out of washington dc have created massive fuel and energy problems they've created a lot of supply chain problems so to get that exacerbated by yet another rail strike would be just catastrophic for the country especially with christmas looming so there are solutions there uh you got to bring all the parties together right so you don't just let ask uh, Congress to go into their chambers in a vacuum and just try to figure it out on their own. Right. You need leadership out of the White House uh, because it is a national issue. You need uh, some consensus with Congress and you need to make, bring those stakeholders. What what exactly are they asking for? Where are, quote unquote, the demands? And they have to give a little. You have to give a little to get a lot. And by by getting a lot, that's making sure that this country's moving forward. And rail is a big part of that
1: yeah, and it's something that could impact the economy. President Biden negotiated a tentative agreement. Uh, four of the twelve unions didn't agree to that because it doesn't include paid sick leave. There are some members of the Republican Party, people like Marco Rubio, surprisingly Senator Ted Cruz, who are saying that the workers should get those paid sick days. You know, this kind of contradicts what Republicans tend to think about unions uh, versus management. So can you explain to me where there are some portions of the Republican party who are siding with unions right now?
0: Well, the premise of your question implies that all Republicans are anti-union and that's that's just not the case at all. Um, When you look at every, I mean, I negotiate union contracts all the time. We have many of them uh, within the state of New Hampshire. Uh, We can uh, usually find a resolution to most of the issues. A lot of the unions and the subunits within those unions can actually disagree themselves about what those tenants should be, whether it's a pay raise, whether it's sick leave, whether it's hazard pay, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, working hours, uh, how the work week's going to be defined. There's a lot of things that go into these contracts. It's not just even always about pay. So, uh, again, whether it's a Republican uh, saying that we have to find a resolution or we have to support the unions again it really comes down to the variables within those contracts. Uh, That can be met and and, and really should be met. So uh, in this one in particular, it has national implications. Now, if the union is asking for things that are just unmanageable and that are unrealistic and and not practical in terms of moving forward, again, you got to negotiate those things out. These are reasonable people on the other side of the table. They want to fight for the best benefits and opportunities for their uh, employees. Uh, But at the same time, there's only so much you can give. So there's there's always a way to resolve it. I'll say that anytime you hit a, a situation where there's a strike, one side is just being overly difficult, frankly. Um, and that does happen, of course, but there's always a way to, to find a, a path back to the middle, especially uh, during these times. And it, it, you can't just say, well, Congress, you go fix it, right? The president has to get involved as well. He's the president, right? He's the CEO. That's what management does. And I don't know if this White House really understands the concept of good management, frankly, but they have to get involved at some level. Uh, president Biden, you know, portends to be very pro union and, and being able to, to work with folks and actually move this stuff down the road. So he is in an ideal place to be the key liaison to find a government private sector solution with the rail.
1: some Republican support for the unions, is this a sign of increased economic populism that is growing across the country that's perhaps gaining support among some in the Republican Party? And where do you stand on that?
0: Well, I gotta be honest, what do you mean by economic populism? What does that mean?
1: Well, just the populist movement that kind of, that during the Trump administration really expanded. Uh, You saw a lot of workers going toward, you know, the Republican Party, a lot of union workers Mm. who voted for Trump. And there's a lot, there's a much more populist message by some in the Republican Party uh, now that contrasts, that contradicts kind of the old school Republican, the typical chamber of commerce, the pro-business Republican. Mm. And so there has been this shift. So you know, can you yeah, explain I would where, see where the- you are?
0: Yeah, so look, when you talk about being a populist, whether it's uh, economically or socially, whatever it is, it's really looking at what what are what are the needs and, and what are the wants of, of the citizens, you know, directly themselves. Um, it's not necessarily union or pro-union. That's not it at, at all. Um, you know, you can create a lot of economic opportunity where we we have a very few private unions here in, in the state of New Hampshire. Yet I would argue we're one of the most economically successful states in the country. It does one does not directly affect the other. I don't think it's about populism. I think it's about just looking the variables where that contract itself uh, it really stands with those individuals have those um has it kept up with the times in terms of inflation in terms of the demands on the worker uh the different uh cultural aspects of our workplace uh whether it's uh, Flexibilities for remote work or pay leave or whatever it is. Um, there's just different opportunities and variables within the workforce now that have to be brought to consideration. I don't think that's being a, a populist per se. I think it's just kind of moving with the times and understanding that there are different dynamics, different tools of communication, different ways to work uh, that have to be brought to bear. Now, in the rail system, obviously, uh, it's hard, it's hard to be remote and, and run a train, right? So uh, those some of those variables will come into play. Some won't, but I don't see it as a populist thing or a Republican thing. I just think it takes good leadership to get this stuff done, it's it's actually not that hard. I think politicians make it more difficult because so many folks in Congress to be blunt, don't have a whole lot of executive leadership sometimes. They don't have that, that skill set. They weren't necessarily in the private sector. There's a lot of lawyers there. Um, I'm a big believer if you wanna negotiate a union contract, get the lawyers out of the room uh, and just good, get good management and, 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 and the workers and and the decision makers in the room. And, and when you do that, you tend to find a, a good path there. At the end of the day, I, again, I just don't wanna say whether it's populist, Republican, Democrat, put labels on everything, just get the job done. I mean, that's what we hired you to do. Congress, the president, Everyone get in the room and, and, and deliver for America.
1: So I want to ask you, uh, we're a couple of weeks after the midterm elections. Of course, Georgia still, uh, we still have Georgia next week. Um, but after the midterms, when there was not that red wave, uh, you spoke at the Jewish um, coalition meeting in Las Vegas. And this is what you said. Let's listen.
0: And candidate quality matters. Holy cow, have we learned that one the tough way. Look, here's a good policy. I got a great policy for the Republican Party. Let's stop supporting crazy unelectable candidates in our primaries and start getting behind winners that can close the deal in November.
1: Which candidates are too extreme?
0: Uh, The ones who can't win. (laughs) Look, look, from a political party perspective, we want winners and winners aren't who can win in a primary. That does not matter. Winners are only who can close the deal in November. You cannot govern if you don't win, the Republican Party has the right ideas. We have the right policies, but none of that matters unless you can deliver, right? So uh, making sure that yes. you can close that deal, I'm very passionate about it. It's, um, it. And by the way, there's extreme, I mean, this whole idea that uh, the, the light is really shining on the extreme of, of the right to be sure right now, but let's not kid ourselves. There's a, just as much extreme on the left, right? This socialist movement, this big well, government is the answer, this we can solve your problems with the government type mentality out of the Democrat Party. That is not the answer for America either.
1: Is Donald Trump too extreme? He has won primary, but he did not win his general election.
0: Yeah, well, look, those are two separate answers. And the answer to both is yes. Right. So unfortunately, President Trump is I don't think he can he can win in November of 24. He didn't win in in 2020. Uh, The the two aspects there you have to look at are either, you know, you you believe what 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 really happened, which is he didn't win. And so therefore, why would we think he can win again Um, uh, or. If you buy into this whole, well, the election was stolen from him. Why would you believe that it wouldn't be stolen again? Which it wasn't, of course. Uh, so either way, uh, the former president, I don't really has a don't. I don't see that he has a path, uh, you know, through winning in 24. But then you also take the extremism issue, and and there's obviously a a. a there's a lot of extremism there as well, just with him as a candidate and as an individual um, uh, in terms of his tone and, and, you know, where a lot of his messaging is and, and what has really surrounded him and kind of co-opted his message at, at this point in terms of what he's about, his brand, if you will. I don't think it's is the right ba- brand for America.
1: Is he bad? Is his brand, is he bad for the Republican Party too? Well,
0: I, I don't look at it as whether it's bad. I, look, we're just moving on. <laughs> we're just moving on. It's just, it's really that simple. You can you can talk about Donald Trump not being the right message for the Republican party. You can talk about Bernie Sanders and the socialists not being the right message for the Democrat party. It's not, you have to be, it's okay to be left of center. It's okay to be right of center. That's where 80% of America is. And our job is to make sure we're delivering results. And that's what you do. One party is not going to get this done alone. That's the real problem in Washington DC. They think that, well, we'll just, if we just get the majority, we'll get it done that doesn't happen, right? Democrats didn't get that done uh, when they were in control. Republicans didn't get that done when they were in control. Uh, when I when you talk about the U.S. Senate, you know, everyone says, well, you're not going to get anything major done unless you get 60 votes. Okay, well, then come up with the 60 vote plan. That probably means some bipartisanship in there. And that's probably a good thing. The concept is checks and balances. That's really what forces bipartisanship to happen. So, you know, Getting a different change in approach to solve these problems out of D.C., that's the real issue. Everyone wants to talk about branding and the headlines of Trump or this extremist or that extremist. None of that matters unless we're getting stuff done. So let's get winners that come through that that can win in November. Folks that understand you probably have to work across the aisle uh, to get the, the, you know, what you want, whether it's Those core things that are important to America that Congress tends to ignore, like balancing a budget, debt management, securing the border, uh, immigration reform, healthcare reform, all of this stuff has been talked about for years on both sides of the aisle, and they've done nothing, absolutely nothing out of Washington, D.C. You know, that's why I say that, that, uh, you know, you could fire all all 100 U.S. senators today, replace them with 100 random working adults around America. You can't tell me you're going to get a worse result. You can't. So they, have they really earned the position? The bar has been set so low out of out of our U.S. Congress and Senate that the fact that they pass anything, we give them a big cheer. You know, it's like uh, I say, it's, it's like my four-year-old, you know, bringing home a, a painting uh, from, from kindergarten. Well, that's nice. We'll hang it on the fridge. Good job. You know, the bar's not really set very high, and we get very proud of them for actually doing something. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's exactly where Congress is. It's embarrassing. As a what governor- I was, was going to say, look, yep. as an, a governor, as an executive, I'm held to 24-7 accountability on every issue. I meet the press every single day that they want to meet. We answer every question. We're super transparent. We don't, we cannot let issues go because we got to manage all day long. And I wish other folks had that type of mentality on both sides of the eye.
1: Uh, everything you just said sounds like a campaign platform Do you plan to run in 2024. For president. Oh it's a
0: camp oh it's a campaign platform and which is why I just became governor again. You know, I'm in my fourth term. My focus is on New Hampshire. That's what New Hampshire's all about. And so as a, if you want to use the term platform, this is really about having New Hampshire set a model. I think we've done a phenomenal job in setting a model of how to get stuff done, not just as Republicans. I've had Republicans in my majority of my legislature. I've had Democrats control my legislature. I literally have like a virtual tie out of 400 reps in New Hampshire. It's a virtual 200 to 200 tie almost. So I've had it every which way and we still design new systems. We're still able to be innovative. We still get it done and we're still accountable to every decision we make. So my my platform, if you will, is about keep getting those very good results. Not just so I can get reelected again. That's not what it's about. So New Hampshire can continue to be a model. So 49 of states can look at New Hampshire and say. How are they doing that? Well, we do it with positivity. We do it by inspiring the bench. We have to make tough decisions. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is always to the constituents that we serve, not just a party platform or anything like that. That polarization, that extremism that you talk about, that doesn't get it done. It's not a winning formula. And if I catered to that, well, I shouldn't get reelected again. They should fire me immediately as soon as we start doing that. But we don't. We keep it real and we get it done.
1: So what I didn't hear is that you were not going to run in 2024. So are you thinking about it?
0: No, not really. Uh, A lot of folks are talking about it, obviously, you know, and there's a lot of uh, uh, hype around that, not just with myself, but with a lot of other candidates. But there's a couple things. Again, I have to balance a budget in the next two months. um, And that's a, a new term for Washington, balance a budget. You know, they can look it up on, give it a Google sometime. But it's hard, right? And it requires us making some really tough decisions, working with folks on on all aspects. So I've got a lot on my plate, not just with that, but with all the other legislation coming my way. New Hampshire is the first in the nation primary. We do a great job with it. Um, you know, we have a huge responsibility to keep living up to that standard. And in some ways, as a governor, I'm kind of like the referee a little bit. You know, we want to make sure people understand how to do it here in terms of coming in, connecting with the voters one on one. I have a joke you've, you maybe have heard in it, but it's really true. Someone might say, hey, are, are you going to vote for Joe Biden? And the other guy says, well, how do I know? I've only met him twice. So the point is, is that you have to come and meet us again and again. And we got to look you in the eye and buy off on you as an individual before we even get to the policy. It's not about money, not about name ID. It's about who really earns it with their character. Um, and, and if you do that, I think you can be successful here. So, you know, that's really where a lot of my focus is, both in terms of my job as managing the, the next steps for the state of New Hampshire, as well as where 24 might go. But that's that's really what I look at. I, I don't look too, too else, much further down the road. I always leave options on the table you know, every which way, whether it's policy or politics, but right now I got to focus on my job.
1: So you warn, as we played in that clip earlier, that about extreme candidates, but these candidates are voted, are, are elected in the primaries. So is there a lane for some sort of, for Republican candidates to be more moderate, to reach across the aisle, to have that bipartisan streak? Uh, because those candidates are not winning in primaries.
0: Well, look, some of those candidates didn't win in primaries that were highlighted across the country, of course. But by and large, you can't say that just the Republicans won with their extreme, you know, nominated extreme candidates or just Democrats nominated extreme candidates. I think some of the more prominent races, some of the more extreme candidates got through the primaries in those five or six Senate races, a couple of the governor's races. But remember, you had Democrats spending tens of millions of dollars in this country on Republican candidates in their primaries. We had it with Don Bolduc, one of our more extreme U.S. Senate candidates. They he got money from the Democrat Party in his primary. So the Democrats trying to manipulate our system, you had a governor's race in Pennsylvania and in Illinois, where tens of millions of dollars were spent on those Republican extreme candidates so the Democrats would prop them up in their primary and get them to win. So you can't just say it's Republicans doing this. The Democrats are actually investing in extremism on the Republican side. It's a manipulation of the process. They have to be held accountable for it. I think there have to be rules and guidelines put into place. It's it crosses a line. Absolutely. I don't think Republicans. There's no evidence Republicans did it in any you know large manner. I don't. I haven't heard of anything like that. And I think you got to create lines for it. So it's not just yeah. about the extremism of Republicans voting for extreme candidates in the primary. It's about a manipulation of the process on the other side as well. And and that's just not democratic, right? You have to actually make sure that that the that you primary is about politics within that party and you got to keep it there.
1: So to Camp bolduck. you mentioned Bolduck, who you did not support in the primary. Same with Caroline Levitt, a House member. You did not support her in the primary. They both won uh, and then lost in the general election. You supported them in the general election, even though you thought they were not the right fit for the state and too far to the right. So it, do you have a responsibility if you do not believe in what these candidates stand for, including election denialism, uh, to not support them, even if they are the nominee that the party chooses?
0: No, That you, your question is based on the premise that that those one or two issues that we disagree on and might even disagree very vehemently on uh, define the candidate and are all, that, that says everyone should be a one issue voter. Election and election denialism
1: be a... is a pretty big issue. Uh, it seems you know like, I mean, are you okay? able just to look the other side, so- look the other way on an issue like that? You said yourself that the 2020 election was not uh, stolen.
0: Right. You know, what's a bigger issue. Having Democrat representatives out of of New Hampshire not even do their job for New Hampshire, not show up back in state, not connect with constituents, not understand our issues here. Basically, go down to Washington and spend six years raising money. That's a much bigger issue than anything else because they're not getting it done. They're not working in a bipartisan way. They're not connecting with voters. They're raising a heck of a lot of money and they can be successful every six years, I suppose. But that's not what New Hampshire is about. So that is a much bigger issue. Doing your job is a much bigger bigger issue than, you know, one or two things that we might disagree with over here. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. People that understand New Hampshire, care for New Hampshire, and frankly, are selfish about New Hampshire. One of the best parts of my job, I get to be selfish about trying to put New Hampshire first every single time. I don't care about national politics. I don't care about party. I just care about putting New Hampshire number one and having 49 other states say, gee, how did you guys do it? I want that type of mentality out of my congressional delegation. And if you have that, I, and again, you've seen it with some. I think I think Mansion did a very good job with it. I think Cinema did a very good job with it. Some of the Republicans did as well. But at the end of the day, we need more of that. We need more folks that say, "I don't care about the fundraising, the money, and the part national party nonsense. I just care about my constituents. That is far more important." Than this other stuff that, frankly, doesn't have impact on the future. It really doesn't. I, I don't like it. I didn't support them in the primary. But again, those those individuals, as with bringing fresh new ideas to the table, were going to be far better solutions than Senator Hassan and uh, and uh, and the, the uh, uh, Congressman Pappas and Congresswoman Custer. Now, look, they got elected, and, and it was a fair, the right election, and people voted for them. We weren't successful on our side. But I'm going to keep fighting to make sure we hold folks accountable, and they, frankly, just do their job.
1: I, I get it on every issue, you know, there's economic issues, there's social issues, there's all sorts of things. But the issue of democracy, isn't. shouldn't that be looked at separately? I'm going to just try one more time. For example, if the Secretary of State across the country that ended up losing, these election deniers that ended up losing, if they had won, 2024 could look much different. It could. And so I guess on when the democracy is at stake, isn't that an issue that that should not. Why be. would
0: 2024 look different? I don't understand. If they had won, why would 2024 look different?
1: Well, if they impl- if they didn't support election results, if they, you know, they said that the 2020 election was stolen. They, some of them, wanted to redo the 2020 yeah, election. Look, you don't know what yeah, sort of. And I would uh, make and
0: Stacy, if Stacey Abrams had been elected, who is a, a huge election denier on the Democrat side, that would be just, to your argument, that would be just as much of a problem, right? So this idea that there's election denial on one side and not the other, I get that the, the mainstream media likes to play that, but we've seen it. We saw Hillary Clinton try to relitigate the 2020 election for years after after the loss, right? And and say it, was, it wasn't was wasn't legitimate and all of that, those sorts of things. On a national stage, she was saying that multiple times, not held accountable for. For it,
1: right. So but the difference it, is there well, was an attempt, a violent attempt to to disrupt the electoral results, the counting of the electoral votes at the Capitol. And there's investigations and special counsels and people are being indicted, including yesterday uh, by Stuart Rhodes for a seditious conspiracy. So so that's just why I'm trying to dig in on this a little bit. Well, uh, you, yeah, so
0: If I may. If, so if January 6th is a very serious issue. They need to have a real investigation on it and they need to get some real results. That's been going on for nearly two years now and nobody in the American public, I don't know much more than, than you do at this point, um, unfortunately, but I think we have to. And I think you have to figure out what happened, where the security uh, broke down, what did we know before? And all of those things that we, we talk about, that's very serious stuff. But, but because that happened on one side and that is a horrible, horrible instance of, of, of Americans, uh, you know, the process trying to be thwarted in a very violent and, and horrible way. We all know that, but again, that doesn't that doesn't absolve Democrats from their election denialism as well. That's a, that those are two very separate issues, believe it or not. Um, in terms of the security and trying to overturn things on an ele- uh, 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 through violent means uh, at the Capitol. Uh, And then you have the election denialism, whether it was rigged and false elections and bad ballots and all that. That's a whole nother system uh, issue that has to be really investigated, mostly at the state level, because every state does it a little bit differently. We do it very well in New Hampshire. Every state does that a little bit differently. But but one thing, one doesn't absolve the other.
1: Mm -hmm. I have a question from a viewer. Um, We have Randall Marks from Maryland who says, how can we ever have civil discourse when the maga people and the rest of us he says including you are part of the rest of us have opposite grasps of reality What is your reaction well, to uh, that yeah. Well
0: yeah so I would I would uh, again not just to be here patting myself on the back we have we have a the maga extreme that the democrats like to use that term on the on the right here in New Hampshire we have free staters the libertarians that kind of anarchists a little bit here in New Hampshire and, and th- that's a very very big problem i think frankly because they don't even believe in the rule of government on either side you have socialists here in New Hampshire right we have we have the the socialist state of Vermont <laughs> that i like to joke about uh, just to our just to our west and again so we have the full spectrum of everything right here in New Hampshire which is why we're very purple And the answer is we still get it done. We redesign and rebuild build our mental health system. We redesign and rebuild our opioid system. We take care of constituent services and child welfare, and we balance budgets, and we, we do all of those things. And we design flexibilities in those systems so if they don't work exactly as we planned, we can pivot and move. We do it really well here. So this idea that if there's extremists on one side as, as part of uh, as part of the team, if you will, and by team, I mean Democrats and Republicans, the whole spectrum of Congress and all of that, then we can't get anything done. That's just... That's not true at all. And I would just ask folks to to look at the purple state of New Hampshire. De- sometimes Republicans are, are in the majority. Sometimes Democrats are in the majority. We always get it done.
1: So what is different with New Hampshire? Do you credit yourself?
0: Or um, well, no, bad? it's not just about me. But I have to tell you, I take our I think tone of leadership at the top is very important. I, I, I try to be inspirational. I try not to be negative. I try to only say positive things on social media. That sounds you know maybe hokey to some folks, but it really is important. And most important is our system itself. Our system in New Hampshire relies on local control, towns and school boards and parents. You know we talk about parents matter across this country we've made sure parents matter for the last 200 years the rest of the country is just trying to catch up because we empower the vast majority of your taxes is at that town meeting and in every year you go to that town meeting as a citizen and you have a lot of say in terms of which roads are paved and what you're doing in your schools and you know what those budgets are going to be and how it's going to be spent so it's very empowering from a bottom up and that's the right approach Over time, across America, states and definitely the federal government thinks that everything should be a top down approach. That's wrong. It is fundamentally wrong. My job as a governor, my job as the government, if you will, is not to solve your problem. It's not. It's just create as many doors of opportunity for you and your family and your business or whatever it might be. And then you do you, you you pick the right door that's right for you. You find your path, you find your option that best meets your need. That's what live for your die in New Hampshire is all about. And we have yeah. to stay true to those ideals. And I think we do that very well in New Hampshire. And when we do, yeah, It comes back to candidates matter, looking you in the eye, knowing that any seat can flip at any time because those that run the hardest and earn the votes on a personal level are the ones that get elected. And then they are held accountable to that every two years. So our system yeah. is just so fundamentally different. And it allows for a lot of that flexibility that I think the rest of America is looking for.
1: So it could be a big day slash weekend for New Hampshire. We'll see uh, something else that is happening is The Democratic National Committee is starting to meet on the primary calendar for the 2024 election. Um, New states want to be first. They want Iowa out of there. Nevada wants a role, Michigan, Minnesota, and of course, New Hampshire. So have you been working with the White House or with the Democrats to ensure that New Hampshire maintains its first-in-the-nation status?
0: Yeah, well, first, I I love that you bring up Nevada. Nevada. Um, I think they're still counting votes. I'm from Nevada.
1: I I am from Nevada, so.
0: (laughs) Has your vote been counted? Um, Look, look, at the end of the day, you have to earn it as a state, you do. And I think New Hampshire earns it. We have some of the highest voter turnout. Our citizens believe in the integrity of our elections. We vote at, at, at the day of. We have absentee ballots, but there's no massive, uh, in, you know, uh, implications of fraud or rigged elections or any of that here. And you get a winner that night. That's just how we do it. We have recounts. We're not a close election like anyone else. We have our recounts and they're almost always verified, you know, in terms of, of the winner that happened. I think this year we had a, a tie race. We actually have a tie race in one of our house rep seats and we'll do a special election or, or however the process is. So we just have a system that people understand. It works. They believe in paper ballots. We don't have our our voting machines connected to computers or the Internet or anything like that. It really does work very, very well. We don't make it overly complicated and people believe in it. Um, So the answer is we've earned it. If other states want it, I'm a big believer they have to earn it. Uh, I've implored at a very loud and national way that of course the Democrat party needs to keep it here and not pull it away for their own political reasons because they need a system that is tried and true. Um, otherwise the, it does a disservice to the country. It really does a disservice to all the other states and all the other voters who go, if the first states don't work, like example in Iowa, right? And you have the caucus, mm-hmm. I was a little different than New Hampshire, they have a caucus, we have a primary. But if you remember 2020, I think Pete Buttigieg wasn't even figured out to be the, the winner until weeks and weeks later. And and the next week, they looked at New Hampshire and said, oh, boy, is any of this going to work? And so we had to nail it for America. We had to get it exactly right. And we did. We got a winner that night. It was it was a for all intents and purposes of an incredibly, almost perfectly run primary election. And America took a, this sigh of relief and said, okay, it works. This, this can all move forward and it can work and we haven't lost complete faith in the system. So we take that responsibility very seriously. We work with every town manager, every election official, make sure the training is there and we get it done. If other states can show that they can get those results, that they have the attention to detail that New Hampshire has, then come and challenge us for it. But if it, the Democrats tried to just pull this away for political reasons, they're doing their party and, and in America a disservice.
1: So, in one word, yes or no? Do you think that New Hampshire is going to maintain its status after the weekend, or ap- after they decide?
0: Not as a lone state. I don't. I think I think Hassan and uh, Senators Hassan and Shaheen made a pitch. I think they made a terrible pitch. They did a terrible job of it, frankly. Um, and we we've joined together. We're we're aligned in this, but I I really don't have a say. Uh, last time I checked, Joe Biden and, and the Democrat Party don't really care what what Chris Sununu have to say. Um, and unfortunately, I just I don't believe. I hope it, I hope it's there. But I don't have a whole lot of faith that that we're going to that they're going to get there. They'll find some other manipulative way to give it to another state or share it with another state or something like that. That's just we'll see what happens. I don't know. I think if if they were going to choose New Hampshire to remain in its place, we would have known that three or four months ago when they first said they were going to announce the results and make this decision. Right. They said they were going to do it back in August. They intentionally decided to delay that, I think, because they didn't want to um, kind of expose Hassan and Shaheen for not have got getting the job done and affect them politically. But unfortunately, I think that's probably the way it goes. I hope not. No, I'm knocking on wood. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I, as governor, I hope I am so wrong in that assessment.
1: <laughs> we will see. I always do love my trips to New Hampshire in the during the, uh, during the primary process every four years. Do you really, uh, that- though? Because, I, you
0: know, okay, I have to ask because it's, look, it's snowing, it's cold. It's a lot of fun. You literally bump into presidential candidates walking down the street. But I yeah. find a lot of folks, if you're from Nevada, maybe, are you from like the the Tahoe area? I don't know.
1: No, I'm from Vegas.
0: It's too, then, then you, Do you enjoy the snow and the slush and the ice and the, the cold wind that everyone has to bear as candidates as they walk down the main street of Exeter going door to door trying to earn every last vote?
1: Knowing that I get to leave, yes.
0: Oh, there you go. There you go. That's that's that's. See, you're like me. Always thinking ahead. Positive, aspirational. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Even through tough times, you can all. The, the sun is always going to come up tomorrow, one way or the other.
1: Exactly. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. We are out of time, but I bet you also have the best decorated mantle of all the governor mansions in the country. I. That's a oh, challenge. Thank you. I want to see the rest of
0: it. Well, that this is just great. a state house. I don't have a governor's mansion in New Hampshire. We don't pay for at stuff the state like that.
1: house. Okay. Oh, right. You have to live at home. That's the way it works. Okay. Um, Governor Sanu, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and joining Washington Post Live.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.